Our scripture reading this morning will be from the book of Acts. Um, please follow along in your Bible or on the screens. Um, I'll be reading uh, again from chapter 8, verses 1 through 24 of the New American Standard Bible. Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. But Paul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. The crowds, with one accord, were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them, shouting with a loud voice, and many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in that city. Now there was a man named Simon, who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. And they all, from the smallest to greatest, were giving attention to him, saying, this man is what is called the great power of God. And they were giving him attention because he, for a long time, astonished them with his magical arts. But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized, men and women alike. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued on with Philip. As he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. Now, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours, and pray the Lord that, if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. But Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me yourselves, so that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning. My name is Julie Steele, and I'm one of the pastors here. And I want to let you know that... Um, Graciously, Steve Guest stepped in to read scripture for us today. His son Daniel was supposed to be our storyteller, and he's sick. So he just got back from college, so he's probably in the recovery from the college mode, but we will get him later this summer. And I also want to uh, either remind you or inform you that our lead pastor, Peter Sung, is on sabbatical until the end of August. So this summer is a soup du jour each Sunday. So if you don't like somebody one Sunday, you'll probably like the person the next Sunday. It's going to work out great. But this Sunday and next week, you are stuck with me. So anyway, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> 
Well, this morning we are looking at the message called Counterfeit Christianity. And uh, the, a lot of things, they're hard to tell whether they're fake or they're real or genuine, right? Uh, sometimes it's really easy to detect something that's fake, and sometimes you can hardly tell the difference, just like in this slide. We can all be fooled. Well, here are a few of the most commonly passed off things as uh, genuine, but they're really fake. Anybody have a fake Rolex that you bought from somebody on the street in New York? What about diamonds? Diamonds, zirconians, all of them, they can look the same, but not quite the same. And of course, there's artwork. There's a big industry of fake art where people are passing off real for, uh, or fake for real. Well, I have a couple of pictures I wanted to show you to see if you could detect if they were real or fake. Here's my friend, Ken Griffey and I, at a baseball game. Now, I want to assure you that it's a purely platonic relationship. We're like brother, sister, and um, I'm just kind of cheering him on here, and so that's, that's us. And then we went to a wedding, and we were dancing together and having a wonderful time. So um, I'm, you know, what do you think? Do you think these are real or they might be counterfeit? Well, my older son, Adam, loves Ken Griffey Jr. And years ago, um, we had a youth intern here and she took a couple of pictures that I had with Adam and she photoshopped Ken Griffey in. And I sent them to Adam saying, Ken says hi. <laughs> I like to play pranks on my kids. Well, today we're going to start again with uh, chapter 8, looking at what can be a counterfeit Christian relationship and what can be a real Christian relationship with Christ. And this whole chapter, actually, 8, is about that. The first part that we're looking at this week in chapters, or verses 1 through 24, we have Philip, the evangelist, in an encounter with um, Simon the sorcerer, and then next week we're going to look at his encounter with the Ethiopian um, official. So here we get our first glimpse, glimpse of Saul, later to be Paul, and we're not going to really talk much about him today because he comes up in a few weeks, but it needs to give context to our story today because it is Saul, Paul, who is really behind this movement of now overall persecution of the church. You see, to begin with, it was individuals being persecuted, but with the stoning of Stephen, uh, now it's the entire church movement that's being persecuted. So everyone was being hunted down at this point. So the scattering was finally taking place that Jesus talked about back in the very beginning of our book of Acts, when he said that his believers would be witnesses in Jerusalem, which is where they are all now, but then they would be going to Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. I find it really interesting that the scattering did not happen until the persecution began. Why didn't these early Christians set off to be those witnesses and tell others about Jesus sooner when he told them that's what they were going to be doing? Well, perhaps they were a little too comfortable staying in Jerusalem with like-minded people. Maybe they thought that someone else would take on this mission, somebody who had more time or had more experience in this area. 
You know, sometimes we don't act until things get difficult or hard. There are many examples in the Bible of people experiencing difficulties like plagues, famine, persecution, when God is using all of that to facilitate his plans and moving people out to where he wants them to be. Well, here we have, therefore, or because of the persecution, the word is being spread now. It's not in spite of the persecution, it's actually because of the persecution. Because see, wherever these believers are scattered, they're taking the message of Jesus Christ with them. They're not keeping it to themselves, they're taking it with them and spreading that word. Now, we're not sure why these apostles stayed behind, but what we do know is that it is the lay people who spread the word and did the ministry. Now, Philip, our, our evangelist today, like Stephen, was one of the seven deacons picked back in chapter 6, chosen to help administer the details of the church so that the apostles could focus on the teaching and leading of the church. And Philip was a Greek-speaking Jew. And this is important because, as a Jew, it's surprising that he would go to Samaria. Remember, the Jews hated, hated the Samaritans. Now, one author wrote, there was deep-seated prejudice amounting to hatred standing between the Jews and the Samaritans. We have groups today who are in a similar place. But you see, it was Christ in Philip who gave him the power to overcome any prejudice or negative feelings that he would have towards these Samaritans. Well, now things get really interesting. A man named Simon had been performing magic, astonishing people from the smallest to the greatest and claiming to be someone great. He was called the great power of God, and they were giving him attention, not God. The Samaritans wrongly assumed that because Simon had power, that it was coming from God. Now, we don't know what kind of magic tricks he performed, but we do know there is a spiritual power that comes from something else other than God, too. The Old Testament tells us that God condemns all kinds of sorcery and magic. And in particular, Deuteronomy and Leviticus and Isaiah are told that to God, these things are detestable. Well, verse 12 says that when they heard Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were believing and being baptized. Even Simon believed and was baptized. Quite an amazing conversion story. He continued to follow Philip because he was constantly amazed at all the things he was doing. He seemed like a genuine Christian. He acted and looked the same as all the other converts. You know, we all are not exactly as we appear, though. Right? I have this makeup table at home in my room that has drawers of makeup in it and this big mirror, and it's, it's an event to sit down and put all this together every day. My granddaughter, who's two, loves to come and sit on the little bench and open it all up, and she goes, ooh, Grammy. 
She's just amazed at all of this cool stuff. Well, there's a lot of counterfeit going on here, and I bet there's a lot of counterfeit going on out there, too, because Grammy doesn't look like this on her own. Well, verse 13 says that he believed, but what did he believe exactly? Simon seemed to be responding more to these signs and miracles and believing in that than he did the message that Philip brought with him. You know, this reminds me of the parable of the uh, seeds in the soil, because the gospel falls on lots of different soil, and two in particular, shallow rocky soil and the soil full of thorns, may give the initial appearance of growth, but the plant eventually dies. I don't know about you, but I have many friends and, and one close family member who had claimed to be Christians for years and then fell away from their faith. And I don't know what to make of that. I don't understand how that happened. I do know that it seems to be happening more and more. I'm not sure why. Maybe it's because life's getting harder. I don't know. But I think in Simon's case, he was looking to see what he could get as opposed to what he could give. He may have been focused on the here and now and not the message that Philip brought that was for eternity. Well, the apostles heard all about this success with the Samaritans, and they had to come down and check it out for themselves. It seems that these new believers had not received the Holy Spirit, which is kind of confusing because the Bible tells us that once we believe, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And there are different theologies on what was actually going on here. A few of them I'll, I'll share with you in my study. Because the Samaritans were such a hated group that Peter and John, as church leaders, maybe needed to come and see for themselves if this faith was really genuine. Another idea is that perhaps because the Jews and Samaritans were so divided that it was important for the Jews to see Peter and John lay hands on these Samaritans so that there would be no question about their faith and that they needed to be fully accepted in to the body of Christ. And it could be that they had the Holy Spirit, but this was an extra measure of the Spirit for special gifts. I, I don't know. But what I do know is that the book of Acts is a transition from the Old Covenant in which the Holy Spirit would come upon a person temporarily and the New Covenant in which the Holy Spirit now indwells believers permanently. Last week, we were reminded that the early church was a movement in transition from movement to established religion or faith. And I know I like to romanticize the book of Acts all the time, and I think, oh, if we could just return to that early church where they were doing all these things together and there was not all this structure that we have in place. However, as we read the book of Acts, crazy things happen that I'm not sure I would want to be a part of. They were trying to figure things out, and I see the book of Acts as the original startup company. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't try to replicate some of these wonderful things that they uh, did because they were so focused on their message. But we do need to think about the culture and the context of what was happening here. 
Well, Simon sees the apostles laying on hands to these people, and they're receiving the Holy Spirit, and now he wants that power too. Here is what we see, where we see that he might not be a genuine believer. Notice that Simon never had a message. Philip did. Simon was all about the outward signs, but there was nothing beyond that. It was all meaningless. It was all about him. And we see this in the church today, don't we? I'm not saying our church, the church. A charismatic leader brings people in, but then there's no spiritual depth. There's nothing to keep them moving forward. They're just there to fill the room. Well, Peter quickly admonishes Simon and points out that his sin is the intention of his heart. It's all on the inside. He looked good on the outside, but inside, he was still Simon. He was still trying to get. No heart change. I like how verse 23 is uh, said in the New Living Translation. He says, for I can see that you are full of bitter jealousy and are held captive by sin. That feels really dark to me. Simon may not be used to not getting what he wants with money. Maybe he's always been able to purchase what he wants. And he's jealous because this is a power he cannot have. He had told the Samaritans that he was somebody great. But now he seems like a lesser version of Philip, and he might be bitter because of it. Simon could have no part in the ministry as he was not interested in what the ministry was, the message of forgiveness and eternal life for all. All the miracles that Jesus did, he did to point people to the Father and to the truth about who he was not just to perform miracles for the sake of miracles. Well, I have a chart, and if you know me, you know that I like things neat and tidy and sequential and in order. So I had real, a lot of fun making this. We're going to look at the difference between real Christianity and fake or counterfeit Christianity. Well, real Christianity, it involves persecution. We face it. We don't hide from it. Second Timothy says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. And there are many other verses that refer to this too. Now, most of us have never been persecuted to this extent, for sure. We may be inconvenienced or our feelings hurt, but that's not persecution. We know many around the world, though, who still are being persecuted for their faith, and they knowingly face danger because they, like Jesus, put others' life above their own. Counterfeit Christians will run from persecution by denying their identity. They want to stay safe and not noticed. How many of us have stayed silent when an injustice is being committed. I've done this before. I especially remember my high school years when I would stand by because I didn't want to be called out for maybe sticking up for somebody who wasn't so popular. I didn't want to be put in that category. Well, the other thing about 
real and uh, fake, is that real Christianity, it grows in the face of adversity. Fake, it dies in adversity. Remember those plants we're talking about in the soil? All of a sudden, some things start to get tough. We shrink away. 2 Corinthians says, Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, I am strong. A Christian grows by adversity because we have to rely on God and not our own abilities. I can certainly attest to that fact. It's when life is easy that I can become very complacent in my relationship with God. All of my growth spurts have resulted from adversity. And I might be short, Joseph Scheid, but I've still grown in my adversity. <laughs> All right. Real Christianity, it changes lives. Fake Christianity, nothing much changes. Remember back in John chapter 4, we have Jesus with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. Now, many of the Samaritans from that town believed him, meaning Jesus, because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did, she said to the people. Her life was changed, and so many others were too. This event set the stage for Philip's fruitful ministry, in Samaria. Now, on the other hand, the magic that Simon was performing, it didn't change anything beyond the temporary event. That's why when Philip came with this life-changing message, all the attention went to him because he was the real deal. Real Christianity is for all people. Wasn't it amazing to hear these different languages this morning and just realize, we're all saying the same thing, but in a different language. Fake Christianity or counterfeit says it's for a select few or just certain groups. We see that there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ, Paul says. And remember, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. You see, everyone has been created in God's image, and every person Jesus died for because they were created in God's image. There is no person and there is no group outside of God's grace. Real Christianity, it's already been paid for. Counterfeit? You need to use your money, your good works, or your own resources to try to get in. For you know, this is from 2 Peter, that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold, which is what Simon was trying to purchase the Holy Spirit's power with, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you by your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. There is nothing we can do to obtain a relationship with Jesus outside of receiving what he has already done for us. There are people who think that they can buy their way into heaven. Have you ever heard of the term or the word simony? 
It's a thing. It's in the dictionary, and it's from this story. The meaning is buying or selling ecclesiastical privileges. Now, I know people who are not just, who are just hoping that their good deeds outweigh their bad deeds when the end comes. That's kind of a crazy way to live. Now, I'm not saying that we don't give money. Please don't hear me say that. Or do good things, because actually, if you're doing it out of love for God, you're probably going to give more and do more. It's the motive behind them that matters. Are you trying to get something, or are you really giving freely? You see, a counterfeit Christian will do all the right stuff and look the same, but for all the wrong reasons. And real Christianity points people to Jesus. Fake or counterfeit points others to themselves, as Simon did. Now, this is kind of a tricky one, because don't we all want others to think highly of us? Don't we all want others to think that we are a great person like Simon did? Well, just because we have those thoughts does not mean that we're a counterfeit Christian. I definitely fall into this trap because I am a people pleaser, although my husband would beg to differ, uh, except <laughs> that I have been humbled enough that I am mindful that apart from Christ, I can do nothing of value on my own. That's just the way it is. I want you to know that if there's anything I do that's good, it is Christ in me. It is not me. And last, real Christianity is all about forgiveness and freedom. And fake Christianity, as we see with Simon, is full of bitterness and bondage to sin. Now, freedom in Christ means we are free to be all that God created us to be, not free to be who we want to be. Simon was bitter and jealous because he was trying to be who he wanted to be, the center of attention. As you read this list that I have here, are you struggling with being on the fake or counterfeit side of any of these? I can relate to all of them on some level. We're all human, right? We have these tendencies. I would encourage you, if you're struggling with one of these today, to seek prayer after the service with Pastor Bud over to my left and your right. And I know he would be happy to pray with you to see how you can move from that place over to the other side. Now, the two that I struggle with the most are growing in the face of adversity and not letting God's message change me. This was a very good lesson for me this week as I was studying this. Now, I can look back, as I've said, and say I grow so much in adversity, but I have to tell you, when a new challenge comes, it's not like I embrace it and go, yay, I'm going to grow through this adversity. I fight it for a while. I think we all do. I also can see how sometimes I struggle with God wanting to change me through the adversity. I know that they kind of dovetail together. So 
I've been struggling with a pretty negative attitude the last few months. And I needed to be reminded that Jesus is the one that wants to change me. We heard that last week from James Amidon. He said, Jesus changes everything. And he asked the question, do you believe it? And I got to thinking about that this week. So I really feel like once I said to God, look, I believe that Jesus changes everything and I need him to change my attitude. Once I was able to say that and embrace that, I have felt a whole lot more free and have had that attitude altered. That can't happen on my own. Now, in addition to an area that you might be struggling with or I might be struggling with personally as we pursue our genuine Christian faith, what about our church? Look at those things again on the chart and think about that. How are we doing here with these? Do the people in our community see us as real and genuine? Or do we sometimes land on this counterfeit side? You know, our strategy for growth process that we have been engaged in since last fall that we've been sharing with you, it's going to go nowhere if we are living on the fake side of this list. Why is the Christian church growing in countries where persecution is happening? Why is all the growth there? And why is the American church dwindling or stalled out at best? If you go to a third world country and you see Christians there, they are walking miles and miles and miles to get to some place to gather together where it's really dangerous. They are really putting their faith out there. They're not doing it because they like the music or the preacher. It's not because they have great programs or that the service times are convenient for them. It's that their life is anything but comfortable and they see that their faith in Jesus is really the only thing that matters. You know, I appreciated the title of our sermon last week too, A Movement That Matters, because that means that it made a difference in the world. Clearly it did, because here we are today. But are we doing the same thing today? You know, we could replicate, if I could replicate anything from the book of Acts, it would be that total sold out attitude for Jesus that they all had, where they were willing to risk it all to get the message out there. I personally get so caught up in my life and the day-to-day -day details that I don't focus on what really matters. This has been a wake-up call for me. Is my life being changed? And are other lives being changed because of that? I want my life to matter, and I want us, our church, to be a church that matters. There's a fine line between looking like a church full of life and activity with lots going on and a church where lives are changing. We as individuals need to address the ways that we are struggling with living out our faith in a genuine way so that we can come together collectively and be the body of Christ and be able to be Christ's witnesses and embody the real Christian church and what it was meant to be. 
So how about you? Is there anything that you think that you can work on that might look real, but you know inside it's fake? It could be an attitude like me. It could be an opinion about another group of people or person. It could be really wanting to see all those signs and miracles, but not focusing on the message. I don't know, but I know that all of us here have something that God wants us to work on. And so I would encourage you to be open to that today. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are real and that because of your real Holy Spirit and your real power, we can be real witnesses for you. Lord, I just ask that each of us would hear from you right now what you want us to think about and work on today. How we can become more like you, more genuine in our faith, as others are looking to us to see who you are. May we be a church, Lord, that is sold out for you and focuses on the message of Jesus over above everything else. Thank you, God, that your Holy Spirit empowers us to do all that you've called us to be. And we call on that now, Lord. We pray these things in your name. Amen.